0: Dave here. Welcome back to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. We are dropping this episode just ahead of Father's Day. And uh, man, do I have a lot of thoughts on Father's Day. It's a wild thing the way that my thinking about and feelings around being a dad has changed over the years. The way you think fatherhood's going to be before you have a child. The way that that experience changes as your children change. The way that the unexpected ways that marriage ending might have single parenthood introduced new definitions in fatherhood or the way that dating after divorce, in particular with someone who has kids and amazing kids at that, uh, has me thinking and feeling all sorts of things about the role that uh, I think all of us, many of us end up playing in a variety of ways when it comes to being a dad of sorts whether you're biological or otherwise, to kids. And uh, this isn't going to be an episode about that. I'm going to spend some time in the blog, really diving into this beautiful journey for me that uh, has had my definition of fatherhood changed and redefined, evolving and growing over time. Today, I got a chance to sit with two friends, two friends that uh, were longtime church-going partners inside of this amazing multicultural church that we were part of back when we were living in Los Angeles. Mark K. Fairley and Hector Gabriel, they themselves, they have a podcast called Her Best Dad Ever. And in the show, they're sharing their journey as they figure out what it looks like to be the best dads to their daughters. And in our conversation, we have a real conversation about the way that we are all trying to work through and get through becoming that best version of dad to the girls we have in our life. So it was a really, really fun conversation from my side. I think it'll be something that you can take away from in, uh, in real time as you listen to it. And I hope that you'll stay tuned, not just uh, to the podcast, but ultimately to some of what I'm going to throw in my newsletter and the blog for this thought, these conversations of the evolution of what fatherhood has meant to me as for me I am jumping on a plane today to go pick up my kids where they've been spending the last couple of weeks with their mom in Hawaii and I am taking them to meet my dad where uh, we are doing a family vacation with my parents and we'll wake up on Father's Day morning surrounded by the humans that call me dad golfing with the person who is my dad. Could not be more excited about it all. Between now and then, I hope you have a fantastic Father's Day with the father in your life. Celebrate him well. I hope you enjoy this episode. We'll see you on the next week's episode of the Rise Together Podcast. Between now and then, enjoy. Welcome to Rise Together. My name's Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're gonna hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience. Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together.
1: guys welcome to her best dad ever another episode today we're really excited to have uh mutual friends uh dave hollis the one and only
0: yes dave how are you doing today man oh man it's so good to be on the show i love the idea of show as uh dads of girls uh there is something that we now have in common to talk about on a wednesday night and i am here for it so thanks for having me here
1: i love it yes let's just jump (laughs) right in dave tell us um you know it's it's inspiring to see you know how how you 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 father your kids you know um on social media and um just from 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 our connection um it's really cool to see that but something i don't really know a lot of like tell tell us a little bit about your journey um as a father like um yeah how has that been your, your journey as a father
0: so I have four children, which is like having a thousand children, actually. But uh, I, uh, I have uh, an almost 14-year-old son named Jackson, a 12-year-old wow. named Sawyer, an eight-year-old named Ford, and a three-year-old daughter named Noah. And uh, we grew up uh, in Southern California became friendly with y'all uh, through the church that we attended. Yes. And, uh, and at the time, you know, my, my wife and I had these three boys, and our introduction actually was a result of the pursuit of a daughter, which mm. you may not have uh, familiarity with this necessarily, but we, after having had our third son, Happened to read a book by an author named Jen Hatmaker called Interrupted. And this book was asking the question of what it might mean for your life to interrupt its otherwise normalness with something that felt like a call from God. Mm. and uh, and it was inside of this book that she described her journey into adopting out of uh, Ethiopia, where she has two of her children uh, as a part of her, I want to say, five kids overall, okay. and, uh, and so we were like, you know what? I think we ought to adopt. Let's adopt from Ethiopia. We're going to start this process of international adoption. We have no concept of what it means, but let's do it. And so we started the paperwork and this journey to, uh, you know, officially finish our family. Okay. And yeah. it was in the beginnings of that journey that we realized that most likely we were going to have a child of color in mm-hmm. our not, you know, we were Caucasian human beings. And we wanted yeah. to find a community of people that might come around us that would, as we had this daughter, have them help us understand what that culture might mean or have her see people that maybe looked a little bit more like her. And so we found in fellowship this opportunity to sit inside of a church group that had multicultural as a part of the ethos of what was happening inside space where we got where we where we met. As it turned out, uh Ethiopia was not meant for us, it turned out. Uh, about a year into the journey, there were some complications with the way that some trafficking actually of kids was happening through some of the uh, ways that they were making adoptions possible. And so we turned our attention to foster care and foster to adopt as the possible way for us to consider bringing this final member of our family into our family. Okay. Uh, and so my first experience in being a girl dad of sorts was in April of 2016, when I got a phone call after having attended classes that qualified our home to be foster parents, that there was, in fact, uh, an 11-month-old human being that needed placement. What we did not know was that three days later, that same phone number rang, letting us know that the 22-month-old sister of this 11-month-old baby was Mm -hmm. also sitting inside of some holding center, and that if we were interested in qualifying our home for two kids, two girls, that uh, we could help reunite these daughters. And so we said, Lord, yes, we will. And we now went from a family of three boys and no girls to three boys and two foster girls and uh, and had them in our home for what ended up being a little more than three months. So it was awesome. But it also was a bit of a means to an end because we knew that in order for us to adopt through foster care, we had to satisfy their prerequisite of fostering first. Oh. And so when, when parents were rehabilitated, they went back to them and we were now uh, waiting by the phone for that opportunity to adopt a baby through, um, through foster care. About a month after the girls uh, returned to their bio parents, we got a phone call. An emergency placement worker called and said, hello, Uh, we have a pair of newborn baby twins who are four days old at USC Medical Center. Wow. On the fifth day, they will be discharged and separated, and you, of all people, have a home that is qualified for two children under two because of the fostering that you did three months earlier. Um, Because uh, of the circumstances, the mother had the babies and then left the hospital. Um, This looks like the fastest track for you to adopt these children. Would you be interested? Uh, and unfortunately, we need to know within 20 minutes. So let us know if you are <laughs> 20, 20 minutes. 20 minutes. minutes. Oh my oh, god! Man. So I, um, wow. I, I, so I called my wife Rachel at the time, and I, uh, and we, and we prayed, and it was just like mm. is this. Like, is this ordained because of the two girls that we didn't expect to have, having sure. had them? Yeah, they're, you know, we've, we, we've always said we wanted to adopt. We didn't ever expect twins. Right. Eight minutes later, pick up the phone. Yep, we're good. Let's go. And within an hour, I was in a meeting. I left the meeting, drove to Target, got two infant, like baby, baby infant car seats. We were at, you know, at at the at the hospital, USC Medical. uh, Within like an hour and a half, and we go home with two babies, which is (laughs) bananas. So to finish the uh, to to finish real quick the story and then I, before I transition into the the happy ending uh, you know as it turned out the adoptability of these twin girls that we brought home named and cared for for these eight weeks worth of time was misrepresented
1: mm. it
0: turned out that there were in fact biological people not the mother who'd left the hospital but others who were lobbying for custody of the children. And that wasn't something that was, you know, brought to our attention and wasn't something that we were aware of until we were, you know, two weeks in and feeling a sense of bond and having oh, an imagination wow. for the way that the future of our family was going no, to look. So how, that long,
1: was how long did you have, did you have them?
0: So we had them for just about two months. Yeah, so oh, just about two months in, got the phone call and in a, in like, you know, sad, low point, and shows up white van takes kids and we are left then with this oh like my gosh why god you, yeah. yeah you know like why mm-hmm. why would you lead us yeah. into this part of our story to you know in some ways feel like we had been left and yeah. um, and it was arguably one of the hardest things shoot that i think any of us had gone through as a family and it left us really questioning if the Decision to continue this journey in completing our family was one that we should still keep going down the road of. And um, you know, the, the bottom line at the end of it all was that our desire for a daughter didn't go away just because it got hard. Our desire for a daughter mm. didn't go away just because things didn't work the way that we would have hoped necessarily. And we tried to stay connected to the reality that. We were the most important human beings in the lives of those two girls yeah. Yeah. at the most critical point yeah, in their right. life. Right. As they could have been separated if you guys hadn't have stepped in, they could have been separated. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they, they. You know, like I, I think we cared for them as best as we possibly could have, and as much as I will wonder for the rest of my life how I mean, they my, are.
1: My wife and I remember that because that, that's I think that's I think when when we when we had first come to, to fellowship, the same place. And my wife and I, my wife and I had just had um, our first kids who happened to be twins as well. So Ryan Eden. And I remember, um, you know, pe- people were telling us, Oh, you need to get connected. So I know my wife got connected with Rachel and, um, but I didn't realize, like looking back, I didn't realize it was that short amount of time, man. That that that's
0: tough. Wow. So it was short. So they came in July, they left, and I want to say it was the last week of August, first week of September. So it was, a, it was you know, again, a couple months worth of time. And for a good month plus, we were just grieving because it felt mm. like uh, a future that we had envisioned was now gone. And mm. it was hard to think about continuing to go forward. And then one day I can remember where I was standing in our backyard in Glendale, California. We had this kind of come to Jesus conversation. It was like, hey, do we still feel like this desire that we have for a daughter exists? And if it does, then we have to continue the journey. We just might have to think about doing it a different way. My mother is a, she was at the time a nurse for a pediatrician. Okay, And so she says, hey, uh, I don't know if you guys are ready to consider going down the route of private adoption. But if you are, here's a number of a person who has finished families, helped complete families for a a handful of patients that come to our practice. The very next day, the very next. So my mom, okay, out of the blue, gives me this phone number. The very next day I happened, because I was at the time still working at the Walt Disney Company, I had a lunch with Kathy Kennedy. And Kathy Kennedy at the time, she's running, like she's like most prolific producer of all time, but she also, um, uh, happened to be running Lucasfilm at the time. Okay, and amazing. she asked how things were going. And I thought she was asking about the twins, but she was just asking about the business. And it wasn't until I was, you know, nine minutes into telling a story about these twins who'd been here, but now were gone, that she said, Oh, well, you know what? I had a friend who used this amazing attorney. To help them with their adoption. I know I have the number here somewhere. Let me grab it and pulls out the Hold number. On. Was it the same number? And it's the same number that my no mom way. had You're lying. in Orange County, San Francisco, you know, right, a thousand miles apart. Wow. Hours within each other. And again, it felt like, oh, okay, God's called us back into this conversation. Please. So you on. left that meeting and called the number. Left that meeting, <laughs> called that number, set up that lunch, and uh And we went into it not understanding, again, like, what what is private adoption? What does it mean? Does it work? And as it turns out, it works totally differently than the international adoption process or the foster to adopt process. And that this is a, a, a process where you put together more or less a portfolio of who you are as a family Sure. And a prospective birth mom who's decided that she's not ready right now to have this baby in her life sure. takes a look at a variety of portfolios and chooses you as the family to raise their human.
1: So, what was it about having a daughter that that you know had you and Rachel kind of stay so close to this journey and, and really see it through? What was it about having a daughter that that, that was so meaningful to y'all?
0: We had to ask, like, hey, at the end of life, is there any chance that we might regret not yeah. having mm. had another child yeah, for the- shake it. Yeah. Right, couldn't shake it. It just kept kind of coming up. And uh, I mean, the seed, interestingly, was planted on our drive to the hospital to find out the sex of our third boy, mm. where we jokingly said, well, if this is a boy, it looks like we're gonna have to adopt a girl. <laughs> It was not a conversation, right? It wasn't a conversation that we had had previously. It wasn't mm. adoption just runs in our family or everyone's always, you know, like, no. But that like little seed plant was then germinated by this book that we read about adoption. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting how that kind of like throwaway line, oh, sure. if, if this is a boy, we're going to have to adopt a girl, yeah. became something that took life when we read a book that, ask the question, if you were to interrupt your otherwise good, normal, you know, heading in this direction kind of life, what, what might it mean? Right. Yeah. Um, so you hit this lady up then this, this lawyer. So we go see this lawyer and I I have to tell this story because there, there's, there's this one part of this day that is, if someone said like, tell me a God moment in your life, like this, this moment is 100% a miracle in my life kind of moment. So Hmm. Two days before we go to see the attorney, Rachel asks me if I will reach out to the biological person who I I've been in contact with. The person who is now going to have custody of these twins, okay. and I have have tried to because of like, hey, just so you know, they sleep a little bit like this or like you know, I, I was trying to like okay. have as smooth a transition as possible. Sure. So she asked if I would reach out and find out if we could bring some food, bring some clothes, like just do something because we were still struggling with closure Yeah, and I reached out and the answer was no. Hmm. Oh. And, uh, and I knew now this answer and I knew that if I told Rachel this answer, that we would not make it to the meeting with the lawyer because yeah. it would be devastating for the processing of grief and the closure that was, you know, the hoped for outcome. If we had to sit with this reality that we were not going to ever see these girls again. Mm
1: -hmm. So we go have
0: the meeting with the attorney. It's like a four hour meeting, lots of explanation. It, we, we leave it. And we're like, you know what, this is a thing we are going to do. This is good. This is the thing that we're supposed to do. It's going to work out. It's a little bit odd in terms of, the process, but you know what? We're gonna make the most of it. It is going to work. Let's go celebrate okay. by having lunch. It was a Beverly Hills attorney, a shishi restaurant downstairs from this Beverly Hills attorney that we had gone to to celebrate something previously, Uh shishi, and that they had $22 grilled cheese sandwiches. So uh, oh, wow. it's like two o'clock in the afternoon socialites are gathered, the tables are very close together, and it was the perfect setting for a celebratory piece of bread and cheese that costs too much because you get to overhear <laughs> a bunch of great conversations.
1: Right.
0: We're about <clears throat> three bites into our expensive bread. When Rachel, who's wearing some very big sunglasses on this patio, asks me, hey, did you hear back from the twins' relative? Uh-oh, okay. And I said, yes, uh, I did. And the answer was that they're not interested in us participating in their life. I mean, to be honest, Mm. because there was this possibility of challenging custody, I understood the perspective that this other party was taking. I didn't uh, agree with it necessarily, but I could understand it. And I tried to explain it that way and I can see the tears just coming down from behind her glasses. Mm. And she in that moment said, I am done. We are done, mm-hmm. we had just had this four hour meeting, it is now over, it's done. But now when I saw this, it's done. And I saw these tears, I was like, you know what? It's done, let's finish oh. our sandwiches, we'll have this glass of wine, it's done. Hmm. And the tables are very close together and in my periphery I see this hand slam down on our table. I look to my right and there's a guy, shaved head, 27 maybe, handsome. And he says, I'm sorry, I am not trying to eavesdrop on your conversation, but I am adopted. And my parents adopted me and my brother after having had failed adoptions. And if they had stopped, Wow. When they were confronted with the thing that you were working through in real time, oh my God. I would be sitting at this restaurant. I wouldn't have the successful career in the record industry. I wouldn't oh. have the school. I wouldn't be married to my wife. I wouldn't oh have the life that I have. You have to keep going. And we're like, Ooh. what? Oh and so now I'm crying and she's mm. crying. And he's crying. And I reached my hand over to introduce myself. And he says, my name is Noah. And the idea that if he had not been sitting there we would not be having this conversation because i would not have a daughter but even more the idea that i wouldn't have this bright unbelievable light in my life oh my gosh. is it, it's not it's unconscionable i can't even think about it and so um that conversation was the propellant that allowed us to finish this journey we were paired with a mom She gave birth in a hospital in Omaha, Nebraska that we were standing inside of the room of. Wow. And uh, we spent uh, the first 48 hours hanging out with her, passing our daughter back and forth. And what was an unbelievable, again, like crazy-ish God moment, I ended up sending a picture to Kathy Kennedy, of us watching Twister, a movie that she produced while we were inside of the room, facilitated by the attorney that she introduced us to. Yeah, so it was just like, what an amazing thing. Fingerprints all over it from just God being present, even inside of really hard things I would never want to have to necessarily live through again. But in a lot of ways, the journey, the like the season season, of deep despair that existed in the middle
1: yeah
0: it in it it gave me two gifts the first real gift was this appreciation that every hard thing has an end and that we can Mm. get hard things right so like the evidence that was afforded to us in the hardest season of our life of 2016 is the proof of the ability to be you know persevere and 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 persist through whatever ends up coming as strong as the headwinds might be. The second thing is, you know, for anyone who's listening and is in a journey to have a daughter, right? Like I've had plenty of conversations with people who are struggling through infertility and, Mm -hmm. and are struggling through failed adoptions or struggling through the circumstances that go beyond our control and trying to finish a family. And, I want to just speak hope to the reality that had things worked the way I thought they would, I wouldn't know my daughter that I know today. I mean, yeah, Yeah. yeah, I may have a different kind of family, but like the thing I can connect to is... Number one, I've never one time in my entire life looked at my daughter Noah and said, oh, there's my adopted daughter. She's my daughter. She's been my daughter from the first day. I, I feel and think of her in the same exact way I do of my biological children. But more than that, I can't fathom our family not including her. And she exists because of things not working the way I wanted. Wow. And that's a reminder, right? But like, as a reminder, like there are things happening in real time that none of us want, but they may in fact be a thing that has to happen to get us to what we don't even realize we need. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's, I think there's, there's something, hopefully there's, there's hope in anyone that you can get to a happy ending Noah in your life kind of scenario, even if you're going through a season of twins being taken from your house.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Dave, what a beautiful story, bro. Gosh, dang.
0: I know it's, it's literally inspiring.
1: (laughs) It is. I feel so pumped up. Like that was literally the question I was going to ask how much I love her name, like Noah. And that, that is powerful, bro. Wow. Okay. So, So tell us about Noah now. Like, I mean, I I really resonated with what you said, like how you have this backstory that like led, I mean, there must not be a day that goes by where you don't look at her and like, remember
0: all that. Like, that's wild. Tell us about her now. What's interesting is like, yes and no, because like truly I can connect so much to the backstory at the beginning. And now she is, she's just one of us she's yeah. just one of the crew mm. i mean she mm. has picked up the mannerisms the attitude she started doing that when she says <laughs> no i mean it's like <laughs> uh, what's what's I awesome right you know that right so <laughs> my daughter has the benefit of being raised by two people who uh see her and affirm her and love her mm. and encourage her to believe that she can be anything that she wants to be, yes, and she awesome. believes it fully, yes. which mm. at three years old means that she is a monster. <laughs> because yes, <right>. when you <laughs> tell someone every single day that you can do it and you will become, and you and what if you dream it, you can be it, and you know, all the things she wakes up every day thinking that the world caters to her because of the kind of influence that, you know, myself and, and her mom, Rachel have had, have had on her. Um, so in, in so many ways, I think she's a reflection of, I think the both of us in this pursuit of trying to become better people and having a positive outlook on life and connecting to gratitude and, con, you know, connecting in some ways to the right kind of mindset to have the kind of day that you'd hope to have. I you know, I started having these tea time conversations with her that I record and put on the old internet in part because here's the thing, to be super honest, I did, I started doing them because I don't know how many people are actually into the kind of personal development work that I do for a living. But I do know that people like watching adorable children do almost anything. Yeah, And so... Um, one of the one of the things that I feel called to do on this planet is, if, you know, is there a way for me to create resources for small human beings that might plant capital T truth in their bones before the world sells its lies? Yeah. So these conversations that I'm having with Noah are meant also to be consumed by other parents with small humans yeah. so that if we're talking about resilience or we're talking about not believing the voice in your head that tells you you can't do it, or, you know, talking about whatever it might be. Um, those conversations as much as yep we're capturing them for film to share with other people are the kind of conversations we're trying to have here yeah. on an everyday basis so tell us about
1: like the inception of the the, the idea of, of tea time like like where were you like what when, when did the light bulb come off was it a suggestion for someone else was it you and then i want and then i want you to talk about too because i heard on an instagram lives uh a, a little while back that um you're actually this year Writing some children's books, I think, if I heard right. So, so tell me about tea time, and then
0: let's talk about the books a little bit. Well, this is—I I don't know that I've even shared this necessarily, but this is the true truth. I had a nonfiction book come out last year called "Get Out of Your Own Way," and in it, I deconstructed twenty lies that I'd believed at one point or another in my life that kept me from being my best self, kept mm-hmm. me from living into the purpose of why God put me on this planet, kept me in my way. And each of those lies are a thing that I wanted to try and introduce the audience to so that they might relate a little bit to why they should buy this book. Okay. But telling Mm. people about habits or telling people about limiting beliefs or telling people about imposter syndrome was a little bit, it felt a little bit more elevated than some of the audience was interested in hearing. So I had to ask myself, is there another way to package some of the things that got in my way that are understandable and accessible to an audience. And my idea in a conference room was, what if I could teach the things that I'm trying to teach adults to a three-year-old? So that in teaching uh, wow. it to a three-year-old, yeah. it's something it's brilliant. that the adult that's not interested in being taught could maybe yeah. be entertained at least by watching me attempt to teach my daughter right. Right. about... Yeah. Whatever that topic was. And so I came up with a list of the chapters originally is how it was born. All right. How do I teach on identity? How do I teach on whatever it might be? and uh and we started uh, i just started sitting down with her now what's funny is these episodes are like three and a half minutes long what you don't see is the 36 minutes that it takes to get three and a half minutes (laughs) i I wonder that when i watch them i wonder how long it actually took to get right but uh (laughs) the great thing is we've got i don't know 50 or 60 episodes now and they are i mean i'm super biased but they're adorable they are adorable they are yeah we love them thank you and thinking about uh you know How do I want to best use the gifts that I've been given and like what really lights my heart on fire? You know, my core identity in this last year really shifted from primary identity as a husband to now Mm. primary identity as a father. Okay, Mm. my primary identity is a father and I've been given these gifts to teach and I have a platform from which to do it. Is there a way for me to align some of me being a father first and my ambition to have impact and bring light that God's put inside of me out to this world? Awesome. What if I could create these tools?
1: Dave, can I ask you another question? So this is actually tied to even Disney too, which I'm curious. I know movies take a long time to make if you are involved at all in this one, but connected to the, to the idea that you just talked about, about, um, you know, having having dreams and having ambitions and and um, having having goals. Um, one thing that the pandemic um, has it did for me was help me to see um, with with clear eyes a healthy perspective of of what's most important in life. Um, there was a quote in the soul that I'm referring to, Soul, that just came out not too long ago. Um, the character in the movie uh, got to like the pinnacle of what he thought was gonna change his life and and he said it doesn't feel the same. So he asked a question. This lady quotes this, she said, I I heard the story about a fish. He swims up to an older fish and says, I'm trying to find this thing called the ocean. And she said, The ocean, the older fish says, that's what you're in right now. This, says the young fish, this is water. What I want is the ocean. And I'm that hit me between the eyes because, you know, contentment is something that I've struggled with. And so you as as a high impact high energy like a, a achiever someone who has big dreams how like like i'm asking for myself like how do you balance those big dreams with the 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 realness and the practicality
0: of of being a dad god that's a good question well so i have a couple <laughs> What answer should I give first? First, I'll give you the answer of, so, you know, three years ago I left Disney okay. and I I left a job as the head of sales of the movie studio where I had been that for seven of 17 years while I was there because of having chased something that once I got there didn't feel as satisfying as I had imagined it might. Mm. And wow. the decision to leave the, title and the connections and the, I mean, the greatest intellectual property on earth in Marvel, Pixar, Disney, and Lucas um, was a decision to leave comfort, leave certainty for the possibility of growth because of what I came to understand was the connection between growth and fulfillment. Hmm. I was struggling to be fulfilled And the reason why I was not fulfilled is because I stopped growing, right? The company was so good. The movies were so good. Mm. Our negotiating leverage was so good Mm. that it did not require every ounce of the gift that exists inside of me to have a movie theater take Star Wars or Avengers. Either of you could have done the job that I did on the days that we were selling those big movies because... Everyone needed those big movies and we could ask whatever we wanted for them. So the decision to leave Hollywood after 25 years in entertainment and move the family here to Austin, do this entrepreneurial thing, was a desire for impact, right? Like, I know that there is impact in movies and I love Disney and the people that I worked with, but I had this question of, is there the possibility that I have been given gifts that if I were to harness them might afford me a chance to connect deeper with people in a way that affords transformation and impact. And in that impact, would I maybe feel a sense of fulfillment? So the first thing is, if you are in any way in pursuit of fulfillment, contentment, I would ask, how comfortable are you? Because if you are hyper comfortable, there's there's a higher chance then of you not being able to connect with contentment and fulfillment because Discomfort is a requirement for growth and growth unlocks fulfillment, okay? Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. The second is when, I just wrote this in my book and um, there's an author named Nora Roberts who had this line. Um, I wrote it when I was writing a, a chapter about how important being the coach of my son's baseball team this last year was in the midst of this transition of our divorce in that as I'm leaving a company that I moved out here to work at and what I thought was gonna be for the rest of my life, my decision was, hey, it's probably better for us to figure out how we do things professionally separately so that we can still be great partners as co-parents and you go do amazing, I'm a root for Ray and the Hollis company for the rest of my life, but hey, I gotta go figure out how to do something on my own. And in the midst of that, I started asking questions about um, what kind of lifestyle, like how did I want to feel the day? Like what kind of lifestyle did I want to try and experience the day inside of? Mm-hmm. And how that helped dictate a little bit of how I approach work and the other things that live outside of it. And this author Nora Roberts had this quote, said, so, you know, like. Everyone's in this pursuit of balance and balance is not real. And I agree that balance is not real, but we are all juggling balls. Okay, There's the family ball. There's the work ball. There's the, you know, self-care ball. they all, we're all juggling balls. And the thing that you have to do is understand which balls are made of plastic and which balls are made of glass. Okay. And then you have to keep catching the glass balls no matter what. The last thing I would say is this: one of the most important books I read this last year was this book called Essentialism. Okay. Essentialism. Okay. Uh, the idea of distinguishing between the vital few and the trivial many. Hmm. So if you can, number one, if if, if everything I is the title right there, that's that's, I know, right? <laughs> that's good, right? So if 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 everything is important, nothing is important. Mm -hmm. If you you have decided that every relationship in your life is is important, none of them end up being more important than the other. Mm -hmm. If you decide that every task you have to do is important, none of them become important, right? So really identifying what are the vital few that actually move the needle, that actually tap into your passion, that actually unlock your purpose, that actually, right? If you can tap into those things, and focus on those things it gives you permission even at the expense of disappointing people to not do the non-essentials because the non-essentials are not essential by definition wow. and and so part of i think what ends up happening when we when you even ask this question is that society has dictated what it means to be a good man has been dictated right. there are frames right. There are structures inside of which we have adopted the truth of this structure as the truth in our life, even if that truth is divergent from our values. And Mm. the only way we we can reconcile it is if we're willing to challenge, oh, wait a second, where did this truth come from? Does this truth have credibility generally? And is this credible truth something that has credibility in my life specifically. Wow. It's hard, right? It's hard because a lot of the things that probably give you struggle in this question of balance or the pursuit of being all for all, mm-hmm. everything for everyone is that people have been people have become accustomed to you playing a role in their life that mm-hmm. if you were to deviate to accommodate your personal values, your calling, your purpose, it would create discomfort for them. Mm -hmm. So rather than disappoint them, rather than be open up for judgment from the collective they, we choose to stay in suffering that we know. Because one, it's familiar, right? Mm -hmm. You know this suffering, so you stay inside of the suffering that you know. And two, we don't want to be the nail that's standing up to be smashed down. We don't right. want to draw attention to the possibility that we are deviating from what it means to be a good man, what it means to be a good Christian, what it means to be a good father, what it means as defined no. by somebody no. else, not by us. Sure.
1: So something Marquet has gotten me into recently is, um, is, is, is cycling. Like, I've, I've never done that before. And I, I've always been inspired when I follow you, how you are so such a champion of running in self, you know, your, your health. Um, Can you speak to that, like your journey in that and how that's helped you
0: specifically for parenting, like being a better, being a better father? I mean, in 2020, as a vehicle to process my emotions and stress, I ran, I ran Mm. about 2000 miles in 2020. I ran, Wow, I had had three consecutive months of running more than 200 miles in a month because there was a lot going on in my life. And it was the way for me to connect one with my thoughts. I mean, I I really, I've been doing a lot of therapy (laughs) with someone who specializes in something called self, like This idea that you are not your thoughts in your head. You're not the emotions that you feel. You are the observer of those thoughts. You're the observer Mm -hmm. of those emotions Mm -hmm. and being able to go on a run and actually create a relationship with what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling allows me to process it. So man, I had a lot to process. Let's get on the roads. But beyond that, um, I ended up using running as this vehicle. I had not been someone who really got into online church and of all things, this pandemic has normalized online church in a way that has allowed me now to have a 45 minutes, an hour, 20 minute run to a sermon. I've been listening to, you know, Elevation's got this great pastor, okay. got a whole host of different, but it, there's so much out there. Yeah. And, you know, in a world where 2020 did something to my brain in that some things that mattered so much to me going away had me questioning what actually mattered. Hmm. So staying connected to uh, to God and to just a, a bigger purpose was yeah. so important to navigating yeah. something that felt so crazy. Um, That's good, Dave. I did, you know, like when I first started writing my book, you asked this question a while ago, but this is the first thing that came to mind and I didn't say it, so I'm gonna say it now. Um, it kind of goes along with that idea of essentialism, but when I when I first started writing my book, it was <clears throat> in the beginning of the pandemic. And I wrote this line, in the rush to return to normal, use this time to consider which parts of normal are worth rushing back to.
1: Mm-hmm. I, Can you say that again?
0: I, I, so, in the rush to return to normal use this time to consider which parts of normal are worth rushing back to right hmm. so it's very it's hard right now it's confusing this like no one wants to stay stuck in this house for one more day please right. let the world back open back up but um, If we just end up going back to the things that we used to do, if we just end up going back to the way things were without inventorying, which things were worthy of our time, which things were actually fueling and filling us and not holding us back or making us feel spread too thin, then we will have wasted an opportunity to take advantage of what this Time, Even though it doesn't feel so much like it's slown, slowed down. As, it felt like a slowdown at the beginning. do doesn't feel like it's slowed down anymore. This just <laughs> right. feels like it's chaos. We're just right. all in the house. Right. But when the world starts to get back to a place where you can fill your calendar, if you haven't thought about what you want to fill your calendar with, what was a good and worthy use of your time? Man, you're going to fall right back into the habits of saying yes to people who are going to dictate the agenda of your life instead of you dictating an agenda that's aligned with your values, your calling. And so, man, I want yeah. to encourage people, like, take the time to really consider what's, what are the things that you want to have as a part of normal when it comes back? It will not be the normal that we knew. Sure. It's a new normal anyway. So you might as well define which pieces of what used to exist will exist in the future have you encountered any differences like with raising your daughter as compared to your sons? Cause we get that question a lot, you know, like are there differences between raising daughters and sons? What would you say? Well, what's interesting is like, we're so hyper-focused on you can do anything you want, including anything that they can do that sure. she does tend to get the benefit of both in that she likes to paint her nails and, you know kick a ball you know like she she gets the benefit of being both boy and you know like got the, it the boys that you know sorry both girl and showing the boys that she can do it yeah um yeah. she i'm trying to think like there's i'm sure there are other things i mean like the the first thing that comes to mind is like i have obviously having been a boy myself a familiarity with like what i would want to do when it comes to playing and here i'm like guessing at what it like is going to take to entertain this small human or i'm like having her lead how she wants to be entertained or engaged with in a way that's different than me like being the line leader and taking all right guys here we go we're gonna go build this then we're gonna throw these balls and then we're gonna go wrestle here you know with her it's like what right. do you want to do how, right. how would you like to spend this day my dear you right. know that's good dave that's awesome man It has been such a gift to have you man no it's oh fun. man this is yeah. a fun hangout you guys it's like the i've been to a friend in like forever so good work <laughs> before we go i just just this last
1: question and we'll we'll wrap it up with this um for our listeners because i feel like it 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 might help some of them um if there was if there was one thing you could tell your younger self um in relation to, to to being a father um what would what would that be
0: the thing i would tell myself is that i can parents my kids in a way that is different than my dad you know Mm. and and in doing so i will not dishonor the awesome job that he did i will just recognize that there are differences that exist in my house with my values in this day and time in, in in a way that like just allows me to hold both because I really had a hard time pulling myself away from thinking that his way was the way. Okay. and he's amazing. I, I love my yeah. dad. He raised four kids. Yeah. We're all good. Um, but I had a really hard time deviating from any of the way that he parented at the beginning because I thought I was doing it wrong if I wasn't doing it his way. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. when I get an, when I get a note from someone who's about to have a kids, <clears throat> I'm about to have a kid. What advice should I, you know, would you give me? And I say, number one, you have no idea what you're getting into. So you can read what to expect when you're expecting or ask strangers on the internet, what to expect, but you have no idea. And number two, you're perfectly prepared for the job because mm-hmm. you are going to do it your way. And no. if you try to do it, anybody else's way, if you try to do it the way the book says, try to do it the way that your parents told you to do it, that is when you will start to feel like you can't do it right. If you just do it your way and accept that you have been perfectly prepared to handle a thing that is not even something you can be prepared for. Yeah. Yeah. Then you do great. Just do it your way. And so um I, think, awesome. I, tell myself, I think I tell myself that, you know, give myself a little bit of grace, let myself off the hook a little bit to know that I can do it my way and my way is going to be just great. That's good. David, that's beautiful, man. Thank you.
1: Thanks for being with us, man, man.
0: Good work, you guys. Man, I just really appreciate your transparency, man. You're just such a inspiration and just such a gift, man. I just really, yeah, just really appreciate you, you, bro. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, guys. You know, yeah. Hey, y'all. While I am taking a hiatus from social media, I'd still love to stay connected to you on the regular. If you head over to MrDaveHollis.com, I have an opportunity for us to become one-way pen pals. Yep, I'm going to be sending out regular updates, uh, stories, uh, observations, hopefully things that will also make you laugh or think, uh, and I'd love to be able to do that on the reg. So if you uh, are so inclined... Hit mrdavehollis.com, drop in your email, and buckle on up. I love y'all. Thank you for all the continued support. Let's go.